welcome to The Future of What. I'm your host, Portia Sabin. Today, we're doing our best of 2015 episode, and we're going to talk to Ben and James from Killer Rockstars about their favorite things. We'll also talk to MIA drummer, MBA holder, activist, and musician, Kieran Gandhi, about her best of 2015. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Can I have a taste of your ice cream? Hey, hi guys. Hello. <laughs> hey, long time to see. I know. We have not seen each other in, well, we have seen each other. It's a total <laughs> We're lie. in the studio. We're in the studio. <laughs> so right here today at the Future of What HQ, we are having my homies, James Reeling and Ben Parrish from Kill Rockstars, the, the redoubtable and well-known record label, Kill Rockstars. Yes. Oh, yeah, I've heard of a few. I've heard of <laughs> it. Uh, they have come in today to talk about their best of 2015, which is a year that we are rapidly losing. Thank you. I don't know. What do you think? Good that we're losing it or, or we're sad? Time just goes on. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, life's meaningless. It doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, well, show's over. Bye. <laughs> the end. Come on, guys. Have some hope. Well, yeah. I think it's been a great year, actually. I don't know. I don't have any complaints. Yeah, I've, I've listened to a lot of good records this year. All right. Some of them were released this year, so hey. Some of them were released this year, not just in previous years? Just reissues. Not just your lathe cut of Mitch Hedberg. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was a good good year. All right. Well, if it was such a good year, Ben, why don't you give us something to listen to? You can cue up that Coneheads track. So what is this going to be? It's this band that I read about on this website, Cassette Gods, which, you know, they cover cassette only releases and it's this weird punk band from indiana and i need i can't remember the name of the title i'm gonna bring it up on my phone yeah it's a very um, long is weird title. punk a genre <laughs> sure it's a, it's an internet genre did you, know, you just make it up no it, i don't think people say it out loud but if you spend a lot of time looking up interesting new bands on like underground message boards or blogs that aren't sponsored by ad revenue. You've probably seen it. Okay, can you give us an example of a weird punk band? Well, this one. Or, um, (laughs) I think... That we might have heard of? I think that, like, maybe Tyvek would have been considered one. Or um, this Silt Breeze band, Psychedelic Horse... Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Or whatever. Horse Blank. Psychedelic Horse Blank. Psychedelic Horses Hit. Is what they used to call them on WFMU. <laughs> what is that band? Remember, they sent me a demo, and I was like, I can't work with them because I, their name is too much. It's, yeah. It was like slut, slut. Oh, slut ever. Was that it? No. Perfect. It'll come to me. Perfect. Great band, but that's a they terrible name. Great. I think they were out of, out of our loop I like at the, the time. <laughs> or like Knots would be described as weird punk. But this album's called LP1, a.k.a. 14-year-old high school PC fascist hype lords rip off Devo for the stake of extorting money from helpless, impressionable Midwestern people punk LP. Wow. And they have room for that on the album cover? You know, I'm looking at the album cover right now on my phone. And it's not on there. It just says LP1, the Coneheads. I'm waiting for my copy to arrive in the mail. Maybe it's on the spine. They're gonna, I'm like, awesome. we're going to need a way bigger LP spine. We're going to need a bigger <laughs> Or boat. maybe it's on the back or the LP label. But maybe when I get the record in the mail, I can come back on the show and okay. make the announcement. All right, so let's <laughs> listen to a little bit of Coneheads. And this track's called Way Things Am. Mm-hmm. 
I love it. That band is awesome. I love them. Yeah. yeah. I love them. They remind me of so many things that I love. Yeah. Yeah. It, I don't know. There's, I'm lost for words even just like trying to figure out how to describe it. <laughs> yeah. No, I really like it. it I it's, think it's really good. It reminds me of like how excited I got like the first time I heard Erase Rada, Other Animals, or like the first time I heard Deer Huff or whatever. There's just like this infectious energy to it. Very infectious energy, but also I totally get the weird weird punk thing. It's like a little devo-y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it. A little bit, you know. Or like the spits. They seem rah, to be rah, kind rah, of rah. like mysterious too. It's kind of hard to find a lot of information about them online, which is kind of interesting about them. But we found a video, like some live footage, and it's like pretty cool. Yeah. Don't look at Ben when you talk. Oh, your sorry. Your mouth okay. goes away from the yeah. mic and then we can't hear you. Either that or we'll put Ben right in front of you. <laughs> just, just talk to Ben. Talk to Ben. Okay. Cool. That's really good. I loved it. That was awesome. What's next? James, what do you got for us? Uh, Sure. I would like to play a band from San Francisco called Silver Shadows. The song is called By My Vampire's Side. So they're just a cool, like, shoegaze pop band from San Francisco of ladies. And, um, you know, don't have a ton to say about them, but they're pretty cool. I love it. Yeah. Loved it. nice. I'd like to see them live. I'm not sure what they'd be like. I saw them live, actually. A year and a half ago, they played at Turn, 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 which is about a block and a half from my house. And they performed opening for Ruby Pins. They were really good. Oh, excellent. Cool. Yeah, they sound terrific. I really liked them. I like that shoegazy early 90s sound when it's done yeah. in a little bit more of an up-tempo way, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I loved my bloody Valentine, but I also like having a little yeah. energy. <laughs> Move around a little bit. It's upbeat. It's positive. It's good for a rainy day. Yeah. Pick up your spirits. Yeah. That was really good. Ben, what do you got for us? Well, we could listen to that monetized Velvet Underground YouTube video. Ooh. I could talk it's about- monetized. Yeah. Greg Gannaway would love that. Yes. So why did why is that in here in your best of 2015? I buy a lot of Velvet Underground live albums and the Matrix tapes are, I think, 
the first officially released soundboard recordings from my favorite era of the Velvet Underground, which is a little after Doug Yule joined the band and before they recorded Loaded. And people knew that these tapes existed for about 20 years or so, but the guy who had the tapes didn't want to get them released until he could come up with some deal where he got paid and also the band did and stuff. And some of the tracks have been released occasionally over the years, but never by themselves. It had always been, oh, you have to buy this five CD reissue of this box that you already own or something. So, you know, this four CD box that came out, I think two weeks ago, and the performances are amazing. I've I've heard about 15 different versions of every song on this box set, but I think that these are, besides the Quintapes box set that came out in 2001, probably... For me, the definitive live versions, and you can hear just how great of a guitarist Sterling Morrison is with rhythm. Doug Ewell's doing some great stuff with keyboards, and even, you know, they do like a nine-minute version of White, Light, White, He, which on the album when Kay was in the band was a two-and-a-half-minute song. But they stretch it out and still make it just super exciting, and there's, you can just, I keep going back to it and finding new things that I had never noticed before that were going in, on in the songs just because most of the previously released live recordings were done with a microphone by an audience member holding a tape player or a reel-to-reel machine or something. Cool. What label did that come out on this box set? Polydor Records, which mm-hmm. I think is in the subsidiary of Atlantic or whatever, one of the three companies that owns all of the major label umbrella stuff. Right. But I think it's interesting because it's an example of a major label actually doing something right and giving me what I want and not having to buy a bunch of stuff I already own to right. get six songs I don't have. Right, because, you know, our our episode that we're doing for next week is on reissues. Yeah. And I feel like it's mostly the indies that have been killing it with reissues. Oh, But there yeah. are some reissues on majors Yeah, here and there that have been worthwhile, right? Yeah, I think so. And, I mean, yeah, it's just great. There's so much going on there it felt like just unearthing some crazy treasure i'm sorry i'm gonna stop playing this cup. <laughs> no, take that cup that. away from ben putting it away <laughs> goodbye cool well okay. what i like about that song is that he says have mercy so that's one of my favorite things to say that is a great thing to yeah. say <laughs> have mercy yeah <laughs> i should pepper that yeah in my conversation more often yeah. my best friend when we were in college went through a phase where she said I, i'll be hogtied Oh my god. All the time, which is the greatest. <laughs> like you'd say, guess what? I got an A on my exam today. And she'd say, I'll be hogged high. <laughs> I was like, oh, I want to affect that so badly. That's awesome. So good. <laughs> James, what do you got for us? Sure. Uh, let's listen to Maman Sani. This was just put out by Sahel Sounds, which is a label in mm-hmm. Portland that reissues a lot of stuff from Africa specifically. We talked to them on this show. Oh, right. And th- yeah, that was great. And so this guy, Maman Sani, these recordings were made between 1981 and 1984. And it's the third LP that Sale Sounds has put out by this guy. And probably the first one they put out was my favorite. But I really like this one a lot, too, because it's got a lot of recordings that uh, are a little bit different than the first two albums, including one track that has a trio, which is the only time that that appears on all the albums. Usually it's just the guy alone playing organ with a drum machine. But this track that I want to play is more similar to the first two albums, and it's just a really good like thing to kind of zone out to while you're like reading or writing or whatnot.
nope, just goes on like that for a while. That's cool. Yeah. Who needs vocals? Who needs vocals? That's so much better in terms of ambient, like ambient, Mm -hmm. whatever you would call it. I really prefer that to whatever it is that the kids are listening to today that I do not understand. (laughs) That stuff? No. No, the stuff that goes. Oh, the stuff I play at the office. (laughs) No, the stuff. No, not that stuff. (laughs) That That was cool. Yeah, it's very joyful. I really like that about it. It's very interesting. And it's just kind of a hidden gem, I guess. No one really knew about it until, uh, I believe, Christopher went over and kind of ended up tracking this guy down and putting out some recordings. So I'm very thankful for that. Very cool. I like it. Cool. It immediately made me think Casio Tone for the Painfully Alone. Oh. <laughs> just, just in, Blast from the past, Just in, yeah. name, in name only. Totally, you know? totally. <laughs> it's like, doo doo doo. Yep. <laughs> Plinking on the Casio. Sweet songs, yeah. Very cute. Cool. Well, now we're going to play one of mine. Oh, cool. It's a guy from, a solo guy from Long Island, New York, who records under the name Red Cabin. And he just sent me a demo, and I love it. And I've he sent me a bunch more stuff, and I just I think he's an incredibly talented songwriter. Oh, cool. songwriter i think he's got a lovely voice i like it that he sort of has a hopeful message in a somewhat minor key you know it's a little bit i love that juxtaposition of you know happy sad at the same time yeah yeah it's a difficult balance to get so it's nice when someone can do it well yeah Yeah. and it just sounds really great so that was my best of 2015 that's it Everything else sucked. <laughs> no, okay. I'm just kidding. Whatever. Else. We had more. Com- we had comedy too, right? We had a lot of comedy that we liked this year. Yeah, but we put out most of it. There were comedy shows and podcasts and stuff that I liked. There were a few comedy albums that I liked that we didn't put out. Yeah, yeah. Tell uh, us about um, some of them. I could play a track from the Randy Whitkey thing if you guys don't mind me holding up the phone to this microphone. No, we can do that. Okay. I hope there. Are- isn't any profanity on this? Okay, <laughs> let's see. Have you guys ever been to New York? Been to New York? Yeah. Oh, perfect. We have so much in common. This is going to be great. <laughs> I uh, grew up in a small town, so I went to New York for the first time. I, I was like pretty scared. I felt a lot like Kevin McAllister in Home Alone 2, <laughs> lost in New York. Because I was completely overwhelmed and 100% pubeless. What? <laughs> Just my style. 
No, I'm joking. I have like a thousand pubes. It's average. Average. Thousand is an average. I googled it. You're born with like 500. Don't believe me? Google baby pubes. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. That was funny. I don't know exactly what to say about this guy. I've seen him. I saw him open for Neil Hamburger back in 2010 or so. And I was like, this is really funny. And I kind of forgot about it. And then he had his Comedy Central special come out earlier this year. And he does this podcast that I listen to called The Bone Zone, which is extremely silly. They do a lot of <laughs> prank phone calls. and You love prank phone call humor. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> you should talk about the time that we saw him live at the uh, Fun House and those two guys that were there. Oh, yeah. We went to Fun House Lounge, which is kind of near the office. And him and this other comedian, Brendan Walsh, were performing. And we got there early. We got some seats so that we could enjoy the show from a nice view. And these two people sat really close to us, about five feet away. And they were probably the most drunk people I've ever seen at a comedy show. They were trying to have conversations with the comedians the whole night. But it was crazy. Like, they weren't trying to antagonize the comedians. They were obviously huge fans. Yeah. And it was kind of like the Neil Hamburger thing where they thought that they were, like, adding to the show. Oh, no. Oh, my God. They were too drunk to realize. Yeah. They yeah. They were so yeah. wasted. Oh, wow. And we were practically sitting next to them. So we were like, oh, my gosh, people are going to think that these guys are with <laughs> us. It was <laughs> weird. I wonder if they've just never been to a comedy show before and didn't know the etiquette. Or well, Cameron Esposito always says that people like that really think they're helping. Yes. Yeah. Like they genuinely think this is going to add to the show. It's not that this person has worked on this for months and months and years. It was and... hard to be mad at them because they were obviously <laughs> like really into it and huge fans, but right. they just did not know that that wasn't oh, okay. I'd be surprised <laughs> if either of them remembered yeah. what happened, oh. to be honest. <laughs> Maybe somebody filmed it and they sent it to them the next day. It'd be so embarrassing. Okay, let's hear another thing from James. What sure. Do you got How about let's listen to a Portland band called Draft Dodgers. One of my favorite local bands right now. They're a great kind of hardcore and post-punk band with a dark goth influence. Singer is Sam Ott. She was in a few other bands during the 90s and is really cool. And the bassist is in a band called Rabbits that I like a lot. And this song is off their tape that's called Why I Want to F Ronald Reagan. And the track is called Crawl.
cool. Yeah, they're great live. Like Sam has such a great presence on stage. She's just kind of magical. So I would definitely recommend trying to check them out if you can. Yay. They're great. Cool. I like that. I say yes. Two thumbs up. Awesome. Benjamin. Oh, yeah. I guess all I have left to play is that Circuit DU track. Ooh. Oh, you're a big Circuit DU fan. Oh, yeah. I think she is one of the best people out there right now. And this is off a new album? Off of the album that I tried really hard for KRS to put out. <laughs> but she went with Thrill Jockey. No hard feelings. It's we a, like them. Yeah, they're a, they're a great label, too. And I think that this album is just a work of art. And, cool. Yeah. But did it come out this year? Yeah, mm-hmm. it came out in, I think, May. Oh, wow. For some reason, I thought it was going to come out last year. Hmm. Okay. Once the rain has washed away Every footprint you have made Once the wind has blown through Every word it spoke Every hidden truth Such a, it's one of my favorite albums of the year, too. Mm. It's so good. And live, it was awesome. Cool. And her album before that, Overdue, I thought was just as good, very different. Her, I think she did four albums and they were all solo, and this is the first one with a five-piece band. And the arrangements are great. Her singing is just in a league of its own. Yeah. The guitar playing is excellent. I believe she plays a 12-string guitar. Cool. And she made a video for one of the songs, too, that's really phenomenal. It's almost like a interesting, like, short film in itself. It's wow. It's really good. Yeah, she's awesome. That is a great band. James, did you have one more? Yeah, I can play one more. A band called Straight Crimes. They're from uh, San Francisco, Oakland, that area. The uh, guitarist, singer, has been in a bunch of bands. His name's Aaron Allen. He was in a band called Child Pornography. He was in a band called Sister Effer. Um, so he's pretty good at coming up with band names. <laughs> I don't know anything about the drummer, but this is just a great like post-punk song called Why Is the World So Bad? I got a question to ask you. I'm not afraid to 
awesome. Cool. So good. Why is the world so bad? I don't know. That's a great question that the band is asking, and I hope they get an answer. I know. I hope we all get an answer. Yeah, people just need to be more reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great band. They remind me entirely of my, like, late high school era of bands that I used to listen to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that they're reminiscent of, like, the wipers and the urinals and stuff like that, and they fit into that, but they're kind of doing their own thing with it, and... I haven't. I've seen all his other bands, and they've all been like really great, high energy live bands. So I'm sure this band is also the same. Yeah, yeah. live, very cool. Cool. So, what are you guys looking forward to in 2016? Besides the fabulous Kill Rock Stars releases, of course. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that Blues Control make another album. Mm. But we'll see. I should. I should email them and <laughs> ask. <laughs> I'm just open to what comes. <laughs> I can't think of anything specifically. You don't have anything on the your schedule? Because I know that both of you are pretty good at looking and seeing what people are working yeah. on. Yeah. I, I hope Marnie Stern finally makes another album. We all do. I'm going to, I should email her again. You should today. email I've her I've been too. emailing her every month. <laughs> <laughs> She's busy. She's got a day job. You know, I'm sure that there's going to be something that happens. And I know that usually every January and February, I learn about a bunch of new bands from the previous year that, I missed. Mm. So I'm actually just really excited about that. That's cool. Yeah, I actually like to oftentimes like wait a few years until like hype kind of dies down about a band before actually checking them out. So right. I'm not like influenced by people talking about right. it. So I'm thinking like I'm going to check out some releases from 2010 next year and see, yeah. what, see what they were doing back then. Yeah. yeah. I like, I mean, ideally music will stand the test of time, right? Well, that's what we hope. That's what we hope. <laughs> There's this blog that I visit called Blastitude that, well, it started in 2001 as like a music magazine that converted into a blog at one point, but he just posted his best of 2014 list a month ago, and there was a ton of stuff I hadn't heard of, so I've been checking that out. Cool. Nice. Well, thanks, you guys. Ben Parrish, James Reeling, Killer Rockstar's super mega force in the house. <laughs> no problem. Yay. Back to the MP3 mines. Back to the yeah. MP3 mines. Oh boy. i
dancing wildly But nostalgic thoughts make a young babe crazy When I get lost, I just turn on lazy She always knows which way to take me Rasking naked when the sun rays hit me See If you're enjoying this program, please consider becoming a subscriber on Bandcamp. Just go to thefutureofwhat.bandcamp.com. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. Now, back to the show. So today we are talking to Kieran Gandhi, who performs as Madame Gandhi, and she drums for MIA, has an MBA, and she's an activist and rad musician. So Kieran Gandhi, welcome to the future of what? I'm so happy to be on this podcast. I'm such a fan of this podcast. So thanks for having me, Portia. Yay. So today we're talking about everybody's best of 2015 to sort of end up this crazy year and see where we're at. And so you sent us a nice list of stuff, and I want to get started with the SZA track that you sent us. Mm-hmm. So do you want to just talk for a second about what it is that you love about this particular track? Yes, I will. And I think the thing that I'm going to say may make a lot of people angry, but every time that Chance the Rapper comes in about a minute and a half into the song is actually when I start the song over again, because I just want to listen to her the whole time <laughs> without him. I like when they sing together a little bit, but he comes in and I'm like, no, like I was in this hypnotic vibe listening to her sing and use electronic music so beautifully. I just wanted her to keep going. But I picked that song because I listened to it on repeat when I found it at the start of the year. And I felt like it really represented a direction in music we're seeing where artists are using tech really, really well and still keeping the humanity in the song. And I think one of my biggest deterrents from house music and from electronic music is that it just, after I listen to it three, four times, it doesn't feel enjoyable anymore or soulful. But she uses production and electronic music production in a way that inspires me and makes me want to do that for Madame Gandhi. So that's why I chose that song. I think James Blake is another great example. Obviously, MIA is a great example. Alt-J is a great example. FKA Twigs is a great example. These artists are, are some of my favorite who are using electronic music. Well. This particular SZA track is Child's Play, and I felt like it was a very, very minimal track. Do you feel that or do you mm. not feel that? Well... I think maybe that's the result, but I think to make it and to create the ebbs and flows of emotion, 
it's quite difficult. I think it reminds me of a lot of like what also the OELXO crew is doing with The Weeknd and Party Next Door and Drake. It comes across as minimal, almost acapella, but the amount of work that goes in to use electronics intelligently to create that effect is quite complex. So that leads us right into Wednesday Night Interlude by Drake, Yes. Party Next Door. So tell us what you love about that track. I never thought that I would be a Drake convert. I mean, he's singing a lot of times very sexist, misogynistic songs. He's insulting people. He's talking about how awesome he is. But then I started paying attention, and I actually couldn't believe how vulnerable a lot of the songs were. Maybe some of them have that kind of party vibe that I was talking about, but a lot of them also address feeling vulnerable or hurt or sad or in pain in a relationship. And I felt very inspired that one of the top male artists of our time, him, and then also Justin Bieber, if the two main male artists of our time are those two, and they're kind of embracing their own vulnerability and shifting away from a hyper-machismo culture, I feel like that is a very interesting trend to pay attention to. Absolutely. Yeah, that is very interesting. So you brought it up. So we'll go to Where Are You Now by Justin Bieber with Skrillex and Diplo. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Was that just for fun? (laughs) No, no. The New York Times put out the coolest video I have ever seen that interviews the three of them and has each of them weigh in on their perspective as to how they created that song and how unexpected the collaboration was, but how much each of them wanted it. And I learned a lot just about making electronic music. They taught me that they take Justin Bieber's voice and then they pitch shifted it super high and then put on a lot of effects to create that flute sounding do-do-do-do, you know, that really high-pitched moment in the song. Uh-huh. And so that's actually just Justin's voice. And I thought that was so cool that they shared that. It made me want to do that kind of stuff and just experiment and be more liberated with how I create and use Ableton Live. And then going back to this notion of celebrating more vulnerable and female traits, I've been using the slogan, the future is female, a lot. Otherwild.com sells these shirts. And I resonate so much with the phrase. To me, it means both men and women starting to embrace both their female and their male traits more authentically instead of suppressing their female traits and exaggerating their male traits. And in seeing both Justin and Drake do that, I feel like hopefully that will inspire both men and women to do the same. I don't know what to say to that except that, yes, <laughs> amen. That would be excellent. <laughs> I tend to think of these things as cultural because it's so, you know, what is a female or a male trait in any given culture is cultural because they change so much when you travel and see how people do things in different cultures. So, you know, in American culture, outward manifestations of sorrow, let's say, are, are sort of a female characteristic, but in some cultures that's only for men. Wow, for great example. point. That's so true. So, You're right. I'm definitely speaking about America and the Western world. You're right. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about Make You Feel by Alina Baraz. Mm-hmm, Baraz, yes. Baraz. I wanted to bring up that track because, A, the way I found her was just through a friend saying you have to listen to this song. And then every song on her album, Urban Flora, was just incredible. And then so many people were listening to her. She was sort of a SoundCloud phenomenon that blew up. And she was the soundtrack for my entire summer. I would listen to that album over and over again. It was just beautiful, beautiful music. And then I went to the concert and she, you know, turned the music off for a second and she addressed the audience. And she says, you know, this moment, all of you singing this music with me here, 
is the product of me emailing back and forth with a Danish producer who had never even been to the States. For two years, we would send lyrics and vocals and stems and, and electronic music concepts. Then he would work on it. I would send my notes. I would send lyrics. And now we're here with this beautiful album. He has a visa to come perform in the States, and now we're performing together. And I just thought that that was also not only on the musical side really inspiring, but just kind of showing a trend that we're seeing in music collaboration that's been possible because of the Internet in a way that we've never seen before. Yeah, I read about them, and it said that they had actually met on SoundCloud, those two people, and they hadn't actually known each other, which is amazing. Yeah, Yeah, that's really neat. And it made me reach out to more people on SoundCloud. When I went to Berlin to speak three weeks ago, four weeks ago at Ableton Live's conference, I went out, and this one DJ, her name was Sarah Farina, she played this awesome track, and at the end of the night, I was like, what was that track? She told me about it. It was called Raw by Screwed, which is S-K-R-U-D-E. I messaged him and said the same thing. I was like, I want to collaborate with you on a track. This is so cool. And he couldn't believe that I thought his music was good. He thought my music was good. It was this awesome, like, mutual enthusiasm. And so I just sent him some recordings of percussion that hopefully he'll use in the next song. So that's how each of these songs have been inspiring me. It's just very direct. That's so cool. And I love it because I listened to some of your music and your music to me didn't sound like any of this music that you have favorited here. (laughs) But I like that, you know, I I think that's important. You know, it's like you have influences, you have things that inspire you, but it doesn't turn around and just make the exact same music. You know, you make something that's your own. I think that's the best thing you can do is that let something inspire you, but then as it goes through you and then outputs again, it's something else entirely different. But you can't help but be inspired by your surroundings and the people you listen to. So the last track you give us is It's Only by Odessa. Mm-hmm. Oh, that track, it's just so cool. I, I, I think it's another data point example of what I've been talking about. People making electronic music feel more soulful and more emotional. I mean, the front singer that they have, even though her voice is heavily manipulated, it feels like there is a true sorrow in her singing about a breakup. And when I went to see them live this year, I remember being really impressed that for two DJs who make electronic music without a live band, they had an awesome live show. So that was why I actually picked that track, is that another trend I'm seeing, or another challenge I'm seeing in the music industry today is... The more electronic music gets and the more sort of singular or individual, the more difficult it is to put on a super awesome live show. So you have to get scrappy and a little bit more innovative. And their setup was so cool. They showed us the stuff they were doing live versus the stuff that they had pre-programmed. They had live drums on the stage where each of them played a beat. And they just created really awesome dynamics up and down where you'd get really excited about the drop. And I thought they did a good job. That's interesting because it it sounds like what you're saying is one of the appeals of the current trend of electronic music to you is that it's moving away from a place of cold sterility and being manipulated to make it more emotional and deep, like having some... And human. Human, right, uh, some human feeling. That's so interesting to me. Now, I am super old, and so in my mind, I'm like, well, why not just not use electronics but just go back to the, you know, the old way of rock and roll, punk rock, like Mm -hmm. grab a guitar, jump on stage, start screaming your head off, like bring emotion, like the immediacy of emotion rather than mediated emotion through electronics. I never thought of it that way. That's a really cool point. I think to me, what gets me excited and has always gotten me excited, it's the reason why I started playing drums. I just like newness. And so 
I love the idea of someone opening up their laptop and experimenting with a new plugin in Ableton or buying a new piece of music technology and then it makes a completely different sound so it dictates the type of music we hear in this day and age. I think one of the most important things to pay attention to is that the music technology that's available on the market today directly affects what we hear. And I do like the idea of different humans using this technology and pushing musical sounds forward in a way that's still human. I I find it just like awesome, basically. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right about technology because, you know, I think about like the early days of hip hop, which is when I was in elementary school, like the late 70s, early Mm -hmm. 80s. Yeah, everybody yeah. was dealing with the exact same keyboard. Like there was only one keyboard and everyone had it. So they were all using the same drum tracks. They were all using the same like bleep and bloop noises that they had then were just, so it's like, that's why early hip hop has this extremely uniform feel to it because everybody had kind mm-hmm. of the same technology. And then, you know, people were doing amazing stuff with scratching records and stuff. So they were actually mm-hmm. changing the technology that existed in new and different ways. I also did want to mention, I've been using this awesome technology called sensory percussion. It's not on the market just yet. It's been a Kickstarter for a long time and they're going to launch in January. But as a drummer who's never played um, an instrument with a melody, these sensors are a total game changer because I put them on each of my drums, my, my acoustic normal drum set, one sensor per drum head. And then I can hotspot different parts of each individual drum to correspond to a MIDI note in Ableton. So I can record maybe of, yeah, it's so cool. So I can basically record an octave of my voice. I can go, ah, 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 something like that. And then I can map that maybe the rim is the lower vocal note. Maybe the middle of the drum is the higher vocal note. I can do up to like 10 of them per drum. And then when I play the drums output it onto a PA or an amp or whatever, I can literally be playing my voice as well as a drum beat. Wow. And I'm so excited for 2016 because a lot of my creative process and composition will be using sensory percussion to make music. I actually have a video example of that on my website right now, um, youtube.com. That is so cool. When did you start playing drums? When I was 11. Nice. That's awesome. I am also a drummer. I was a drummer in punk bands for years. Ah. Which was so dope. So fun. I love drummers are awesome. (laughs) If I do say so myself. Totally. Yeah, that's run by a friend of mine. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great magazine. So let's talk a little bit since I have you on the phone about your big 2015 People magazine article. (laughs) (laughs) The menstrual marathon. The menstrual marathon. I think awesome. that that was like you were you became a, a viral you were like a meme you went you went around the internet wow. it was amazing it's true I learned a lot about virality in a way that I never could have expected yeah <laughs> no day. doubt no doubt <laughs> I think feminism and gender equality and kind of being a punker has always been in my veins and in my system I think it's part of the reason why I started playing the drums I thought it was just like rebellious and awesome and kind of changed people's minds so that's just always been ingrained in me and when I approached the marathon course that morning I got my period and I wasn't expecting it at all and I was like praying that I would just skip a day and wait one more day just let me do the marathon and then I'll deal with you is how I was talking to my period at the time <laughs> but I got it and Every time I had practiced running and I had my period, I just stopped. Like, I didn't practice that day. I skipped out for a couple days because it's uncomfortable and it hurts and I just don't like it. But on that day, I had to make a decision. And my decision was about 
basically not using any sort of foreign object in my body. The amount of people who chafe by using stuff like that is enormous. Um, There's also no privacy on a marathon course, so to change out a tampon or anything like that would have been very uncomfortable and probably not even possible. Right. And then I also was just thinking, like, like, I know I don't want to run with any of this stuff. I would much prefer to just hope that I don't bleed that much and just run, <laughs> you know, without any foreign object on me. I just want to run in the way that I've practiced, which is these pants, these shoes, these socks. And if I do wear a tampon, it will be for other people's, like, eye comfort. Like, that would right. be the only reason why. Right. And that was when I was like, oh, I'm definitely not running with that stuff in my body. No way. Like, <laughs> it shouldn't be about somebody else. It should be about my own comfort as a woman running a marathon. Well, you're running a marathon, for God's sake. Yeah. That's it. And there's strength in that. There's power in that. And that was the initial thought. And I wrote about it. But the more I ran, the more I thought, listen, I'm in a position of privilege. Everything is going to be fine for me. But why don't we talk about the fact that in India, where I spent a lot of time growing up, this is the beginning of women's economic disenfranchisement. Mm. Women can't go to school once they hit seventh grade. Women can't work safely in the workplace. They are shamed. People in Nepal are sent to another tent to bleed. I mean, all sorts of crazy things. Wow. So this is the sort of mentality behind the marathon. And I want to add one more thing, which is just that I will say that shock culture and performance art did deeply influence that decision. When I used to drum for MIA, she used to tell me so many different inspiring things. She had a video called Born Free. And in Born Free, she has an image of a SWAT team traveling all over this city, this kind of Gotham City-like place, finding and capturing redhead males and killing them. And <laughs> what? because we're not... Yes, you must watch this. It was banned for the longest time. I think maybe you can find it on Vimeo still. But in this Born Free video... She's basically saying we're so used to seeing people of color assassinated, people in Africa assassinated, um, people of an Arab descent assassinated because the news has socialized us to accept that. But if we made it a white person, it shocks everyone. Right. And so in that art and by doing it in a safe place, which is how I felt about the marathon, you can really shake stuff up and make people question their norms and their values. So that was sort of how the music inspiration influenced my choice to run the marathon free bleeding. I love it. I think it's amazing. Bringing women's periods into the public eye and into discussion is awesome. You know, I think that that's really powerful that you did that Mm -hmm. because I think it's going to have a lot of impact. I think a lot of people are going to talk about it and think about it in a way that, you know, that's just something that we put away and don't talk about Mm -hmm. because you're right. We are privileged. Like we do have handy public bathrooms. Mm -hmm. Like women don't have to talk to anybody about that. But it happens every month. <laughs> like it's a pretty common occurrence mm-hmm. for fifty-one percent of the population. Exactly. So I know. Very interesting. And I also think you know, it's cool. I was just going to say that, that you know, Cosmo this year said they called twenty fifteen the year the period went public. And I do think that all of these little data points and actions in isolation form a larger cultural narrative that does make people question. And it's cool when more people participate because then it makes it more relevant. I'm I'm so fascinated by this stuff. Kieran Gandhi performs as Madam Gandhi, and she joined us here on The Future of What. Thank you so much, Kieran. Thank you. Bye-bye, Prishna. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. If you have a question you want answered on the show, please email us at thefutureofwhatshow at gmail.com. Our episodes are archived at killrockstars.com slash thefutureofwhat, and you can subscribe to our podcast on Bandcamp. Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol, 
and is produced by Will Watts, Anna McLean, and John Sepulveda. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week.